Hi folks, Neil here. We want to help answer all your questions about Rome. That's why you can listen to this episode in the Circa app for iPhone and get all the show notes, pictures, maps, and links you need to find everything we tell you about in this Rome guide. Best of all, in the Circa app, you can message a Circa concierge and you can get any question about Rome answered by real people right here. The best way to visit the Colosseum, how to get around, where to find an absolutely beautiful carbonara. We're giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, no AI ever. And for a limited time, it's completely free. The Circa Travel app is available in the App Store right now or at circatravel.com. Hi everyone, my name's Neil Innes. I'm one of the folks at Circa in charge of all of the amazing travel guides we're launching this summer. And I also host the Circa Guide to Barcelona from this beautiful city on the Mediterranean. We'd like to invite you to download the Circa app for iOS for free. It's out right now in the App Store. Inside the Circa app, you'll find maps and info on all the places we recommend, plus bonus episodes and early access to all of the other guides. Go to circatravel.com or click the link in the notes. Right now, you'll be able to listen to Circa Guide episodes about London, Barcelona, Los Angeles, Rome, and Iceland. And coming soon, Paris, Mexico City, Hawaii, Costa Rica, and more. Once more, that's circatravel.com, spelled C-E-R-C-A travel.com. I'll see you there. Welcome to Circa. Rome and food go hand in hand like paste fazul. There is no way we can talk about the eternal city without talking about food. The Italian way of solving any problem is by sitting down and eating. If you're interested in knowing about the culture that is around Italian food, where to eat and how, and bust some myths about Roman food, you are in the right place. We're going to tell you a lot, but don't worry. There will be maps, notes and info on the places mentioned in these guides in the Circa app, as well as all other full guide episodes to this wonderful city. So just sit back, put your headphones on and enjoy the ride. And maybe have a snack handy. You are gonna get hungry. Podcast disclaimer. Listener discretion is advice for those who put cream in carbonara. You will not be doing that ever again. Let's go eat in Rome. Circa. Love the world you live in and will help you explore it. Forget everything you know about Italian food. Somehow we've been stereotyped with pizza, spaghetti and lasagna. But this is really just the tiny tip of a very big and very diverse iceberg. Food in Rome, specifically, is the language of diplomacy, of tradition, of pure and undying love. Your nonna might not tell you she loves you, but she will spend four hours on a Sunday morning cooking a three-course meal for you. To truly know Roman food, you have to be ready to let go. 
In restaurants, contrary to what you might be used to, the customer is almost never right. Eating in a Roman restaurant is an exercise of trust. You need to know that the chef and waiters will take care of you. Their priority is that you enjoy the food that they are preparing and that your palate salivates at the sight of it. So, breathe in, breathe out, and let me guide you through the history of Roman food. Where it all began. 2,000 years ago, ancient Romans were pretty disgusting, especially when it came to food. The stranger it was, the better. There are legends of them cooking bears and then restuffing them with their own fur to recreate the shape. A bit like taxidermy. Pretty bad to see on a table. They ate giraffes, flamingos, lamb, and honeyed wine. Burping and farting on the table were considered compliments. People ate lying down on mattresses. If you were put on a chair at a table at a high society event, chances are you were considered pretty irrelevant. These banquets lasted up to eight hours, with slaves cleaning the mix of food and mess on the floor as the hours passed by. The feet of the participants would also be clean in between courses. This is not the case anymore, thank God. Most of the foods that were eaten at Roman banquets have been banned, and so have the manners. But some traditions have remained. It is important to know that food culture here is 3,000-year-old, and it's central in Italian life. As uncouth as it may seem now, the banquets were a way to show wealth. And how do you show more wealth? By showing you enjoy life. The beginning of La Dolce Vita. These gastronomic events were for networking and banter. They were the equivalent of a wedding today. Food, lots of people, and lots of alcohol. They would happen almost every week. The quirkier the food, the richer you looked. I even heard that they would put bird wings on rabbits to imitate the god Pegasus. I hope this is just a legend. But it does show how food became a central part of the Roman language from the beginning. People would talk about the banquets for days, and all the city would join in the gossip. Other than the elite class, the rest of the population, meaning most people, ate regularly and quite healthily. Three meals a day, cereals, bread, honey, and legumes. Families would get together and talk about the day. Dinner was a way of showing love and dedicating time. Today's Roman cooking developed from the Middle Ages. It has absorbed the culinary specialties of different cultures and bordering regions. Romans pride themselves on having defended the ingredients from intrusions and on keeping the simplicity of popular cooking. It is still like this. In Italy, every region has its own specialties. Food here is a bit like the English language, a lot of rules with very specific exceptions. Don't worry, I will reveal some do's and don'ts and what you need to know before you dig that fork into any delicious Roman dish. Roman food is a reflection of its history and character. The typical piatti poveri, or humble dishes, come from a period of history in which average Romans truly had to work with what they had, scraps, leftovers. The truth is we learn by observing and tasting. Hours spent watching our parents make fresh pasta or suppli or lasagna enter our subconscious from a very young age. You will try different versions of the same dish anywhere you go. Each chef puts a bit of their character into it. 
It is about personal pleasure, not precision. The one thing that is of utmost importance is to know your raw ingredients. We are taught early how to recognize a good vegetable or a good piece of meat. That's where the true secrets lie. At the markets, you can find nonnas checking whether peppers have three or four points. Why? Because the ones with three points are less sweet. These are the types of secrets you learn growing up here. Traditional Roman food. A full meal in Italy, at lunch or dinner, looks like this. Antipasto, usually something light, like fried artichokes, which is a must-try in Rome, or a salad of bitter chicory. And then primo, usually a carb-based dish like pasta or rice. This is followed by secondo, meat or fish with vegetables, which you will sometimes choose as individual sides. And then, of course, a dolce, dessert. Today, traditional Roman cooking is based on ingredients of rural origin. These ingredients are particularly nutritious, like beans or pecorino, and they are served in abundant portions, mainly because this kind of food was created to feed a hungry population working in the fields. Typical Roman restaurants are usually family-owned, an extension of a home kitchen. These trattoria, or taverns, usually have a maitre d' and the waiters are dressed very elegantly. These places will actually serve you some of the most hearty food in the city. These are the restaurants we all love. In the Trevi neighborhood of Rome, La Matriciana has existed since 1870, a family-owned restaurant with a great selection of wines from their cellar. Try their artichoke salad with parmesan shavings. It mixes the freshness of a Roman artichoke with the sweet and sour of the parmesan. Good extra virgin olive oil and lemon bring it all together. Their pastas are delicious. You should obviously try their matriciana. It is one of the best in town. Tomato, guanciale, and pecorino cheese. They do it the original way with this long pasta called bucatini. Bucatini is like spaghetti, but thicker, and with a hole in the middle, sort of like a long tube. The tomato sauce gets lost in them only to be found by your teeth and your tongue. It's a messy meal, so make sure you're protected with a serviette. Another classic of Rome you need to know about is the cacio e pepe. The history of cacio e pepe has roots in the Lazio countryside outside of Rome, when farmers migrated with their livestock. During the long displacements of the flock, the shepherds filled their saddlebags with food that could last a long time and contained lots of calories. Amongst these were pecorino cheese, a bag of black peppercorns, and a good quantity of dried spaghetti prepared by hand with water, salt, and flour. Pepper to warm you up, spaghetti because it would last a long time and give them strength, and pecorino because, well, it's just bloody delicious. The melted cheese and the pepper are married in perfect union, made complete by the lukewarm pasta water that is used to obtain a beautiful creamy sauce. In this creamy sauce, when shaken, the dish is supposed to make a noise similar to spanking a watery surface very gently. Dig in, you won't regret it. 
Avoid eating this dish in the most crowded touristy spots and head to Augusto in Trastevere. This quaint little trattoria has tables outside on the cobblestones and a funky graffiti of a Roman grandma cooking food. Another specialty at Augusto is rigatoni alla pagliata, one of the stars of Roman humble food, made with meat intestines and a sauce. This dish originated in the Testaccio district of the capital. Testaccio was the site of the historic slaughterhouse dating back to the late 19th century. You can actually visit the slaughterhouse now. It is a wonderful art center with amazing contemporary art exhibitions and cultural experiments. It is called Macro Future, and I'll tell you all about it in our art episode in this guide to Rome. So, part of the compensation given to the slaughterhouse workers included the scraps of slaughter, consisting of less valuable cuts and the entrails of animals. These included the pagliata, in Roman dialect, pagliata, which is the highest part of the small intestine of a calf. The working-class people of Testaccio created a dish rich in flavor that is considered a delicacy today. You can get a delicious plate of this at Trattoria da Enzo. Romans love their interiors, the squishy parts, the unused bits and the unloved guts. We love them all. Considering our food comes from a humble past where nothing was wasted, a lot of our dishes, the truly hearty and traditional ones, involve animal interiors. Tripe is another one of these, cooked with carrots, celery, tomato and pecorino, and a final touch of Roman mint. In Rome, the tradition is to eat tripe for Saturday lunch. Restaurants announce their special menus on chalkboards on the street, telling you to order trippa. Try a really good trippa at Soralella and Felicia Testaccio. We'll put all these recommendations in the notes for you. Testaccio. This is a profoundly Roman neighborhood, and food-wise, it hides some gems. If you're tired of the famous sites, spend a day here and absorb the daily life. Go to Mercato Testaccio and see how Romans do it. Accept when offered to try things by the sellers if you can. Offering food is an act of love here. Most of the restaurants are family-run, and this neighborhood is the perfect way to go deep into Roman food culture. Allow the waiters and menu to guide you. Trust that they will know. Cecchino from 1887 is a good place to try traditional Roman dishes, known for its vintage cheese trolleys and oxtail stew. Last on the podium of the traditional Roman dishes is the coda alla vaccinara, or oxtail. This is a dish you don't have to be a daredevil to eat. There are various versions of it, but the most traditional one includes three main ingredients beside the tail. Celery, tomato sauce and bitter cocoa powder. The oxtail is cooked for up to eight hours, rendering it blissfully tender. Some of the restaurants serve it with pasta, and I have to say it is one of my own favorite dishes. The best? For me, it's a Trattoria da Teo. This restaurant serves classic dishes, but the chef has been experimenting with them in the last few years. In the summer, for example, you can find cacio e pepe with shrimp and lime, so good. If you order the oxtail, I recommend to pair it with a plate of cicoria. This leafy green is similar to spinach, but more bitter. It is usually served cooked with garlic and chili flakes. It is absolutely delicious. 
It is long, and sometimes I eat it like spaghetti, by turning the fork on the plate and letting it softly be dressed by the cicoria. Veggies in Rome are incredible. After all, most of our cuisine comes from farmers' lands. Romans usually see vegetable dishes as faithful companions to meaty dishes. I usually eat them as entree. They are so incredibly rich in flavor. A classic Roman vegetable, like I said, is cicoria, another version of which is puntarelle, the tender sprouts of chicory served like salad. You can ask for them dressed simply or with anchovies and mozzarella. They are incredibly healthy, full of vitamins and minerals. Great to prepare your stomach to take on a hefty pasta plate. More pasta. I would like to set the record straight about a dish you've probably heard of before, fettuccine Alfredo. Here, it's also called the cheater's fettuccine. This dish has existed in people's homes since time immemorial. In Italy, it contains just three ingredients and a whole lot of love. Butter, fettuccine, and Parmesan cheese. Legend has it that the nickname Cheater's Fettuccine came about because housewives who had affairs would prepare the dish for their husbands, making a dish that takes 10 minutes look like it took all day, when instead they were frolicking with other men. The Alfredo part of the name came from a restaurant in Rome that started serving this dish with their own twist. In 1914, Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks, two of the most famous actors in the world at the time, came to Rome on their honeymoon and fell in love with Alfredo's fettuccine. They begged him for the recipe, which they bought back to Los Angeles and handed over to the chef at Musso and Franks in Hollywood. You can still order the original dish there today, prepared just as Alfredo instructed. Years later, the couple sent Alfredo a golden fork and spoon engraved, to Alfredo, the king of noodles. The secret to this dish, like most Roman pasta dishes, is the pasta water. Romans seldom use cream, which is a point of pride here. Using cream means making a dish much heavier than it needs to be, but using just the right amount of this starchy water creates a silky creaminess without all the weight. Get your fettuccine at Il Vero Alfredo on Piazza Augusto Imperatore. Il Vero Alfredo is quite a classic and a bit pricey, but we do recommend visiting to try the fettuccine. Other restaurants have given a modern twist to Alfredo's. I love that of Il Ristoro degli Angeli in Garbatella, with sesame. It gives it that crunchiness that you need in such a creamy dish. This restaurant has a great selection of wines and modernized classics. And Garbatella is a quaint neighborhood that makes you feel like you're not in a major city but lost in an Italian village. Go around sunset and start your walk at Piazza Brin. You can walk through cobblestones and red houses, banana trees, tropical flowers, cacti, and Roman pine trees. It feels like entering a new world. Tanto per Magna is a no-nonsense trattoria where you can eat some Roman classics like Gricia and Amatriciana. In the summer, try Ascinobrillo on a lovely piazza of cobblestones and under pine trees. Magic. Their cacio e pepe with pistachio is a must-try. If you're a serious foodie, I have a food tour to recommend. 
Sofia Minkili was born and raised in Rome, but she speaks fluent English and offers wonderful and authentic food tours around the city. You can find her on Instagram. Check the notes for the link. I really just scratched the surface, but the restaurants I have mentioned have varied menus full of our classics. What I love about most of these places is that even the people who work there bring their romanity to the table. They are rough around the edges, yet tender in their hearts. A bit like artichokes. Do's and don'ts. Before you eat in Rome, there are some things you need to know. So, now, it's time for some discipline. Rules can only be broken by people who are Italian and know how to cook. The judge of this, God himself. I truly cannot explain to you why certain things are the way they are. For example, you should never order a cappuccino at the table after 11 a.m. It's an unwritten rule of life here. So, let's prepare you with some of the most important things to know when eating in Rome. Number one, cheese on pasta. First thing you need to know is that Romans put two different cheeses on pasta, Parmesan cheese and Pecorino. None of that grated Emmental business. Stick to these. And then it gets a little more complicated. Cheese does not go on fish pasta. It is sacrilegious to do so. And some Italians may feel personally offended by this. But then, of course, there's exceptions. For example, the delicious pasta dish of mussel and pecorino. This dish may seem unusual, but in your mouth it makes a lot of sense. And it is one of the only times you can mix the strong sheep cheese with the delicacy of the mussels, pasta and parsley. Another time when cheese is mixed with fish is on our zucchini flowers Roman style. This is essentially a sweet zucchini blossom stuffed with mozzarella and one anchovy and after, deep fried. It's levels, crunchy, soft, smooth, salty, multi-layered like the eternal city. Eat them from Trattoria da Enzo in Trastevere. Their whole menu has some Roman gems, including delicious gnocchi with mussels and pecorino. Oh, and you can get the juicy fried zucchini flowers from a famous pizzeria in testaccio called Daremo. Number two. Pizza. It was born in Naples, but Romans have their own version. Pizza Romana is thinner around the edges and dominated mainly by the toppings rather than the crust. Open only at night, Daremo makes no promises of fancy dining, but it will not disappoint. Paper tablecloths, fried starters, a great vibe, and locals who have been coming here all their lives. Keep it classy. Margherita Capricciosa or Napoli. Swish it all down with a beer and your stomach won't be disappointed. Number three, do not. I repeat, do not cut your spaghetti or any long pasta for that matter. The only exception to this rule is afforded to toddlers. For Italians, this is like murdering the dish. We teach children how to eat long pasta as soon as they can manage a fork. Eating spaghetti is like a dance. The more you practice, the better you will learn to dress your fork in the voluptuous circles of pasta. 
Number four. There is no cream in carbonara. There never was and there never should be. Somehow, this sacred recipe has been tainted by the white devil that is cream. To make your pasta dishes creamy, use pasta water. Let your raw pasta fall into boiling water and wait until a white foam is created. That's what you want, the starch. Oh, and also, you should never throw raw pasta in water that has not reached the boiling point. It's like a bad kiss. Italians cook pasta al dente. Literally, this means to the tooth, meaning that the pasta still has some bite to it. It shouldn't be a sad and floppy noodle. More advanced food knowledge includes knowing the difference between guanciale, pancetta, or bacon. Guanciale is the cheek of the pork. It is mostly fat, but it is full of flavor. It is used for amatriciana and pasta alla gricia. The other two come from the belly of the pig, and the taste is not the same. Grisha is essentially a carbonara without the egg. Trattoria da Teo makes a delicious one, adding fava beans and pecorino. When it comes to pairings with wine, the usual rule is red with meat, white with fish. But I feel that we should dig a little deeper, really, because Romans love their wines and spirit. Are you ready to get a little tipsy? Hi everyone, Circa's recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Drinking in Rome. First, coffee. That dark, aromatic, molten, heavenly, sacred, salty elixir that is the beginning and core of our days. Forget your frappuccinos and vanilla ice lattes and pink drinks or whatever upside-down order is in the latest fad. Forget the French press and those insanely expensive coffee beans that have been eaten and digested by some furry animals. Forget it all and start over. This is your new beginning. And pay close attention, because knowing the basics of coffee in Italy is your golden ticket to acceptance. It's morning and you're in bed. You're kind of awake and kind of asleep and you're loving it. There's nothing rushing you, nowhere to go. Your sheets feel like angel's tunics draped over you by some magical, invisible being. There's nothing in the world that could make you happier in this moment, or at least get you out of bed. Until it hits you. The aroma of the gods, the song of the sirens, the rumbling of the coffee machine and its ridiculously inviting perfume. Coffee is not a pick-me-up. Coffee is a social ritual. It is very unusual to see anyone walking down the streets with a to-go cup. Most cafes won't even offer them. So be prepared to drink your coffee like a proper Roman. If you like eavesdropping on other people's conversation, one of the phrases you'll pick up most on is Ci prendiamo un caffè? Should we get a coffee? I could write a whole dissertation on how many things that one little phrase could mean. 
I could translate it to, I'm bored, let's see each other, or I want to talk, I want to ask you out, but drinks might be too upfront, or even, I need an excuse to leave work and coffee is simply the best option I have. In Rome, it seems like no one ever does anything, no one ever works. It is actually considered rude to ask a Roman what they do for work. There is a sort of century-old rebellion against what should be a workday, or even better, a deep denial that workdays might be weekends. There's a scene in Eat, Pray, Love set in one of the most famous coffee bars, Santo Stacchio. It's a stone's throw away from the Pantheon and definitely a must-go-to for a classic and great coffee experience. In the film, the bar is filled to the brim with screaming men in suits, waving their arms around as if they were in a stock market on Wall Street. Forget that. It's not speed dating. Coffee in bars can be taken two ways. Seduti, seated at the usually outdoor tables, or al banco, standing over the counter. If you're sitting down at the table, you will most likely be charged extra for it. So if you want the coffee experience but want to keep it low budget, around one euro, go for al banco. Ask for a café and you will get an espresso. Say espresso and they'll probably roll their eyes at you. Ask for a latte and you will get just that, warm milk. Be sure to say café latte. Most places have milk alternatives, but I'd still ask beforehand just to be safe. And since we're on the subject of milk, a warning. If you ask for cappuccino right after a meal, know that you've just committed the worst of coffee sins. Something about drinking milk after food doesn't sit well with Italians. Italians order a caffè, an espresso, for after meals. And you can add sugar or not to your taste. Much like the rest of the city, coffee bars are movie sets waiting for a film crew. Every neighborhood has a bar storico, the neighborhood's OG. And that's where you'll find the best scenes. Look around at the photos hung on a wall or the school signs placed above or just watch the people inside. These places have so much character and it just adds to the coffee experience altogether. If you're looking for that sort of thing, you'll find it in just about any small bars off the main streets. But let's say you're walking around Piazza dell'Orologio. Go for Bar Amore, a family-run gem where the coffee's great and the tramezzini are excellent. If, instead, you feel like sitting down and treating yourself after a bit of vintage shopping on Via del Governo Vecchio, go for Caffè Novecento. It's a beautiful bistro with plenty of outdoor seating and a great selection of cakes. Forget your diet and indulge. Since we've had our breakfast, lunch and mid-afternoon coffee, it's time for the opening act of our evenings, our grand entrance into the night. Second the aperitivo, our happy hour, if you will. People have been having aperitif as early as the 5th century BC. It's safe to say that we've been honoring the tradition quite intensely ever since. Initially envisioned by Hippocrates as appetite-inducing medicine, rich ancient Romans turned the aperitivo into another show of wealth to open their ridiculously grand banquets. Nowadays, it's simply everyone's favorite activity, a way to decompress after work, a good reason for an extra glass of wine, an excuse to catch up, and most of all, a way to commit to a night out without really committing to anything. Saying yes to a dinner is great, your night is organized, but it's also a shackle you can't get rid of. 
That's the magic of Aperitivo. It's whimsical and freeing. It's a beginning with no end. It's boarding a train with random companions that hop on and off whenever they please. And so do you. If you're in the mood to splurge and in for a great atmosphere, hotels are where you need to go. Sultry aperitif? Head towards Piazza del Popolo at Hotel Locarno and sit in its wisteria-covered courtyard. The menu is incredibly pricey, but if you stick to a good bottle of Franciacorta with friends, you're all set. Want to feel the grandiosity of a Wes Anderson setting? Hotel de Russie on Via del Babuino's courtyard is a luxurious nook not to be missed. And you'll get quite a decent amount of finger food with every drink you order. If you want to experience Rome in all of its glory, to have the bird's eye view of the Eternal City, Trinità dei Monti area has the advantage of a high ground and the best view of Roman roofs and chapels. You cannot miss the stunning Spanish steps if you go to Rome for its golden and white colors, and a bunch of tourists, of course. But you can elevate your experience with a spritz at Hotel Delaville or Hotel Hassler. Bars in Rome tend to close between 12 and 2, depending on the day of the week and how many clients there are, or their individual license. If a bar or restaurant is full and the owners are in party mode themselves, they might push the closing time even further. But if it's a quiet night with few people, you might get kicked out on the earlier side. They will give you a heads up, though. And fear not, I won't leave you wandering the streets of Rome wanting another drink. Speakeasies, praise the heavens, are a thing here as well. Hidden behind seemingly normal building doors, you'll be asked for a password for entry. You can usually find this on their Facebook page, but do indulge them in the reenacting of Prohibition-era secrecy and say it softly, as if it's only something for few to know. Most of these places have a cover charge, so come prepared with cash. They may also ask for a member's fee to be paid up front, usually about 5 euros per person, but the card lasts a whole year. Walk into Gerri Thomas in Vicolo Cellini, a tiny cobblestone residential street. Breathe in the 20s vibe, leather sofas, intricate wallpapers, a bathroom full of 20s burlesque prints and speakers blasting jazz. Their selection of drinks revolves around gin, and their aviator cocktail is a must-have especially if it's your first time visiting. They won't disclose exactly what goes into it, but it's so delicious. If you're looking for a more underground and decadent vibe, definitely visit Argo in Via dei Cappellari. Its front door is nestled on a street corner and you'll know they're open for business if the lamp outside is switched on. Both speakeasies boast experienced bartenders and Perhaps unlike other places in Rome, you will be treated as if you were in a five-star hotel. Derriere, just around Piazza Coppelle, is another Roman favorite. It can be reached from the backside, hence Derriere, of Osteria delle Coppelle restaurant, which is also a great drinks place during the off-season. If you're having dinner there, go to the back room in the restaurant. Look for a wardrobe and open it. Derriere's entrance through the restaurant is like Narnia, so be prepared to be greeted by life-size suits of armor as well as that wonderful chit-chatter of a secret after-hour spot. And if you need a bathroom and can't find it, 
don't worry. It's hidden behind a huge library in the middle of the Chesterfield sofas. The Jewish Ghetto, a.k.a. the Land of Artichokes. I love this quaint neighborhood adjacent to the river. It is filled with tiny piazzas, galleries, and some amazing restaurants. If you want to go true and authentic, or as we say, berashe, go to the ghetto. Rome is home to one of the oldest Jewish communities in the world. Culturally rich and lively, distributed throughout the city, the Roman Jewish community still has its center of gravity in a small handkerchief of land near the Tiber River. Here, their Jewish ancestors were confined at the hand of Pope Paul IV during the 1500s. Start at Ponte Fabricio, right on top of the Tiber Island. Legend has it that the island was formed in 510 BC by sheaves of wheat harvested in Campomarzio, owned by the King Tarquin the Proud. The island today is associated with healing and medicine. On this bridge, you will feel suspended above Rome and have an open view of the Eternal City almost on every side you look. Cross the bridge past the local vendors selling their handmade jewelry. If you love the vibe, have a coffee under the sun at Tiberino Bar and listen to the river flowing underneath you. Then make your way to the Jewish ghetto. Just a five-minute walk and you will be in front of the synagogue at Via Portico d'Ottavia. This beautiful pale yellow building is in front of a small cobblestone piazza and stands quite grand. Here you can see the pieces of the Roman Forum and inside the home of some of the residents. The great synagogue of Rome is spectacular and absolutely worth a visit. Continue on Via del Portico d'Ottavia and watch the madness happen. People shouting, Signorina, Signorina! Piles of artichokes outside of restaurants, old women in furs walking around, depending on the season. This street is Jewish Romanity to the bone. Go to La Dolce Roma. This Jewish-owned Austrian bakery has the most incredible Sasher cake in town. This is a chocolate cake with an apricot jam interior, to be eaten strictly with whipped cream on the side. They also sometimes have homemade herbal infusions made by the owner with much love. If you want to buy bread, do it here. It's delicious. Al Pompiere a Roma is a high-ceilinged restaurant with white tablecloths and elegantly dressed waiters. Traditional doesn't even begin to explain it. The waiters might even bow. When in the ghetto, one must eat carciofi, artichokes. In Rome, there are two ways of making them, the Roman way and the Jewish way. The Roman-style artichoke is steamed, whilst the Jewish style is deep-fried. Try them both. Artichoke season is either in autumn or spring, but you're bound to find them all year round. Al Pompiere has a great menu from the pastas to the artichokes to the codfish. This last one is a Jewish dish that has become a Roman staple, fried cod. We call it baccala. If you're feeling a little fancier, Piperno is your place. Hidden in a small piazza, this traditional restaurant offers high-end dishes and incredible wine pairings. Their pastas are all freshly made. 
Their pasta chechi is a delicious chickpea soup which will leave your heart warm. Both creamy and healthy, it is a great distraction from all the guanciale. Book in advance and don't eat before going there. And for dessert, grandpa's fried balls. Ricotta, chocolate and anise seeds are mixed together into a ball and then deep fried. Think donuts, but better. Make sure you leave space for this speciality. The Daredevils. Here's where it gets saucy. Food rule breakers have two destinies in Rome, to either be hated or loved, both extremes. Despite our love for tradition, Rome also longs to evolve whilst keeping a foot in its glorious past. As we say, perché io posso? Because I can. So here's to those who do. To the mavericks that defy boundaries and take on generations of grandparents. There's no better restaurant to start with than eggs in Trastevere. Their recipe for carbonara is actually one of the most traditional you'll find in town, and it just serves to show that tradition and innovations are not enemies, but rather distant cousins who can walk hand in hand. Eggs has become a Roman favorite. It centers around the importance of eggs in the Roman cuisine, most famously in the queen of pastas, la carbonara. Their menu is an ode to eggs of all origins that are cooked in all ways. Spice yolks, battered vegetables, fried sausage, battered cod, fried ravioli, or egg with potato cream and artichoke Roman style. Simple and complex at the same time. An ode to the importance of the quality of the ingredients and to the multitude of things that can be created from them. Nestled just off Via della Scrofa is Retrobottega, a Michelin-starred, modern-designed vessel of experimentation. The history of this street itself is deeply tied to food. In fact, the name, meaning South Street, stuck because of a locale that used to be here in 1400. Abandon yourself to the chefs. Allow them freedom over what you're going to experience. You only have the power to make one choice when walking in, plant-based or protein-based. Retro is not a restaurant you'll walk in for a quick dinner. Be sure to reserve ahead and look forward to going all week. It's a journey for the palate and imagination, and it never fails to deliver. The menu changes constantly. It's the chef's quest to explore and expand their guests' experiences. Retropasta is the easygoing sister of the main restaurant. It's a brilliant alternative to the usual dining experience. You'll be presented with a selection of fresh pastas and sauces to choose from. If you're looking for a fresh pasta experience, this is it. Go for their vegetable-filled agnolotti or tortelli di coda for a bite you'll never forget. Piano Strada in Via delle Zoccolette is a project born of the dedication and ambition of four women who decided to pour their love of food into a beautiful dining experience. Their focus is on ingredients and their selection of both simple yet unique dishes is effortless. That's what it is, a smooth place, a smooth experience. You can choose to either dine at the bar, the cozy garden courtyard in the back, or in the elegantly simple main room of the restaurant. Order one of their focaccia for starters. They're topped with succulent cheese, charcuterie, and veggie combination. 
The one with stracciatella, which is an Italian type of burrata but softer, anchovies and chitara tomatoes, is orgasmic. On a Sunday morning, you will notice a quieter Rome. Shops and restaurants closed, empty streets that have witnessed drunkness and the fun of a Saturday night. The day of rest is taken very seriously here, especially in the morning. But what you will see are open bakeries, so many of them. We call them pasticcerie. You will notice a window of small, tiny pastries, custard with fruit, lobster-shaped puff pastry with the softest cream inside. These are pastarelle. Romans buy trays when they're going to lunch on Sundays with their families and friends. It is a staple at every family lunch. After this culinary journey made of love and rules, it is only fair to end with some sweetness. Grab one and enjoy it on the counter and return to the empty streets. There's nothing better than an empty room where you can truly smell the memories. Thanks for listening to our Eat Here episode for Rome. Remember to check out the other Rome episodes in this guide for deeper dives into Vatican film, art, and more. If you're heading to Rome right now in the near future, or you would just like to learn all about a place we truly love, you'll get instant access to the full guide plus new episodes on a regular basis when you subscribe to Circa. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or download the Circa app where you can also get pictures and maps and notes to the places in this episode and more. Maybe you'll want to sample one of our guides from Barcelona, London, New York, LA, and many, many more. Circa. Love the world you live in and will help you explore it.